Hey, this is your host, Daniel Williams, and this is Calvin Seymour, and this is your local Imaginarium, a weekly podcast about the imagination and fun things to do with it. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, And then that's that. We just kind of say that. People know what it's about. That way, if anyone ever comes across a random uh, comes across a random episode being shared, they know what they get. You know? Yeah. Uh, so so that, that's the traditional. I think we were with the cold open before, which is which is sort of just there's no introduction. No, no one no one knows who anyone is, and they just start talking. That's just a, a artistic form. You know, it's it's not uncommon to do that. And uh, you know, there's also the the more formal introduction uh, stuff. But I'm totally going to clip that, what you just said, and make that our opening. So, um. No. <laughs> well, I, actually, I didn't mind that part. Maybe it'll work. I don't know. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, roll. You know, whatever. Okay. Uh, so, okay. So, let's follow up with. Yeah, well, let, let me start because the whole 2001 uh, uh, Space Odyssey, right? That is. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, right? Uh, because I I was in, I was a little indulgent of my, myself when I was uh, uh we talked in the last episode about uh, some stuff, some space stuff, Cassini and, and Jupiter and stuff. So, and so I, we talked about where life can exist, and I said uh, except for one particular moon of the moons, uh, Europa, I believe it was. And then I started talking about you know the plot of 2001: A Space Odyssey. And uh, I just I just assumed you'd catch on when I started saying more and more, and then you didn't, and then I just decided to move on, and <laughs> which is which is fine because I was never going to mention it because like whatever, no one's listening well, to our see, podcast. I had attempted to watch that movie a couple of times. I mean let let's uh let's just be real. That movie came out four years before I was born. Okay, yeah. and uh, being a science fiction and fantasy fan uh the you know my whole life i have attempted to watch it a couple of times and and when you started quoting all the stuff i i you know i just naturally thought you were trying to bait me into a conspiracy theory <laughs> talk which uh everyone knows i am very fair game to do that with because i have quite a love for uh our little extraterrestrials out there but um you know, I, I just I didn't really feel that conversation, and I just assumed you were talking about the many different uh, theories about what's on our moon. And I, I did, and, I did, I did know that about you, and I did, I did uh, hook the whole thing at the beginning with like, you know, they documented that back in the '60s. That's that was totally my fault, and it would have been left at that, just like a passing moment in our lives, right? One <laughs> miscommunication, but then our friend Erica decided to <laughs> call you out on our email after we let, let him listen to it, and uh, of course, then it was like, what? What well, about? So, oh. listen, I'll never. I don't get really embarrassed because you know if i did i would never show my face because hey look i'm going to say some stupid stuff i'm not the absolute smartest guy in the world but i like things and and i know what i like and i'm interested in them enough that i know them at least on a superficial level do i love science and 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 you know astrophysics yeah but can i explain a lot of it 
No, but I love to read a, a good story and get the point of what, you know, what is that? And uh, then, you know, I'll talk about it. And some some dumb things are come out of my mouth, especially uh, hanging out with all the super brains in our little group. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm quite used to it. It's not a big deal. So I didn't watch 2001 Space Odyssey past the apes. <laughs> then, uh, yeah, I, I tried <laughs> to watch that movie several times in my younger years, I think. Eventually, I just sat down and watched it one time. And, of course, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this 1968 movie, uh, there's some weird stuff at the end, like really weird stuff that's, like, open into interpretation, um, including a space baby. I assume you got to the space baby part. Yeah, All right. yeah. Interesting. Uh, and so, uh, you know, some of that is explained in – with how and why he does the things he does that's explained in the next sequel which is itself you know to, I happen to know a little bit about the movie because it's it was originally sort of originally it, not not really originally because it originally was a screenplay in a movie but also sort of parallel was a book uh, rather, right. rather famous author um, uh, that uh, wrote the book at the same time they're doing with his rather famous director uh, Kubrick, that they made the, the movie together, and they Kubrick is famous for basically all the re, super realistic pieces of that, uh, you know, and they, and they projected the future as best they could, and blah blah blah. Uh, well, well, like I said, I I watched that a couple times. Love the beginning, you know, the whole apes and how you know, hey, you know, we touched the obelisk. We're the we're we're also now now we can figure out uh, you know, weapons and fire or whatever. Of course there was no fire, but um you know, then they you know just kind of showing an evolution sort of thing there. I love that. Uh-huh. And then it goes to this suddenly it's like this weird airline in space. <laughs> and man, you talked about I just Lost me, and, and it goes on far too long too. Because I never slow, very deliberately paced. Yeah, yeah, and I, I never got past that. But I forced myself. I watched it after being called out. And I forced myself through that part, and you know what? I finally understand who Hal is. I've heard that all my life, and it was cool. I really enjoyed that part. It's quite creepy, you know, mm-hmm. and. uh I think my favorite part was when Hal realizes he's about to die or be shut off and and he starts just saying anything to survive, so to speak, yep. just trying to do anything, just like a human would. And I thought, you know, that's a very interesting thing to do with AI. Yeah. So, give, it, give it some time to settle and then go watch the sequel, uh, which which is a very different movie. A completely different movie, uh, in in tone and pacing and everything. It's it's much more a traditional movie. Um, it's also set in the middle of the Cold War and it brings a bunch of stuff. But uh, it, it's a much more enjoyable movie for the time period that we grew up in, which is not Stanley Kubrick's style right. movies. Uh, anyway. So. Well, I definitely want to watch it now. Let me ask you this, since we're on the subject. I don't want to get too far off because we have a lot of cool things to talk about. But how realistic do you think 2000 was in terms of the way an alien race might test us? You know, uh, just just depending on your beliefs. And there's a lot of people on this planet believe all sorts of different things. But, 
you know, if you happen to to believe perhaps that, you know, we were we were designed, but, it, you know, maybe it was by aliens or we or some way monitored by aliens. What, how do you think this test was? Because that's what it seemed like the whole movie really was. Right. Uh, it could be a test. Uh, it's sort of so without spoilers, because some of that is revealed in the second one. Uh, and because again, there's there's three books actually, right? There's three books that sort of cover the whole thing, and then there's like another sequel after that that jumps ahead a thousand years. That's not by Asimov, but uh, the um, that is who it's by, right? Wasn't Asimov wrote that book? I don't think so. Uh, uh, was it Clark? It was Clark. Oh my god! And, you know, I read a bunch of them. I mix those up. Yeah, Arthur C. Clarke. Sorry, not Asma. Clark. Uh, he he wrote he wrote the first three books, and then there was a a jump ahead a thousand years. Um, where well, I was, uh, the, the the fourth one is not as important, but basically that dude who gets blown out the airlock and floats and just goes off floating is frozen, and a thousand years in the future they find his body, and he's basically resuscitated. Uh, oh. Okay, so that's a big spoiler, but it doesn't really impact the the the, the two follow on whatever. And I, the, the things are revealed that maybe or may may or may not have been meant in that two thousand one that Clark wrote uh, in in the mid sixties, uh, and they did collaborate anyway. Anyway, so the the point is, what, what do I think about all that? Is that uh, I have to uh, spoil a little bit that they're. They are sort of tests, but also sort of like uh, warnings, like warning flags, right? Like humans uh, are – they're intelligent beings on the planet, and so they put another one on the moon, right? And like, oh, they got to the moon. Interesting. You know, so sort of like markers right. about how far humans are advancing, um, and I, I'll leave it at that. Uh, and so they are things going on there. We'll talk more about it when you've watched the next one, which other things are revealed. We'll get back to that. Well, that's good. I, I, I think that would be, like I said, I'm actually interested now in watching it. Uh, and I obviously had never had interest before. Uh, one interesting thing I noticed uh, when I was kind of looking into this, you know what else came out the same day? Hmm. Planet of the Apes. <laughs> it was like the eight wild weekend. Uh, I thought that was very interesting that you would have uh, the two movies come out side by side, both with such an, you know, with the, the ape theme at the front in this case. Yeah, those are uh, two very different style movies, but interesting. Uh, they sort of got uh, yeah. some themes that are, that are similar. There was an under, uh, you know how it is in Hollywood. You always get two of whatever movie it is. You know, if you're getting, if you're getting the, the story of Excalibur, there's going to be two of them within a year of each other coming out. It's like they compete. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe they just, there were some interesting underground, uh, eight undertones going there. I don't know. Yeah, like, uh, but, uh, like Deep Impact and Armageddon and, uh, uh, Anyway, several examples like K9 and some other dog movie that was <laughs> those, those are the ones that strike kind of stand out in my head about just like they're the same movie they're just yeah. done just, anyway, anyway the uh, maybe <laughs> that sort of ties into our imagination theme right the uh, our imagination is both seems completely unique and yet 
here we are like influenced by the same things and have the same ideas and then somehow magically go through all of this effort and like, Oh, you're making basically the same movie I am. How did, how did that happen? Well, did you steal it? You know, that sort of parallel yeah. development makes you really question how much, how much imagination we really have. It's very hard if you try to just, if you really try to sit there and think about, you know, something that's not being driven by a, a human passion or human want or need. If you if you try to just sit there and imagine something that's not tied to that, it's pretty hard. Yep. You know. Yep. I mean, uh, that's one of the things that always interests me about, and this can tie back to 2001. Is like, you know, it's crazy stuff. But that's, you know, Alien would truly be, like, just uncomprehensible to us, right? Not incomprehensible, but uncomprehensible. Yeah. Like, you could not comprehend true aliens, possibly, uh, because because they're just so not what we are used to that we just would just, like, not even – maybe not even see it. Like, not even impact our cognitive facilities, right? That we would just, like, skip right over it and be like, ah, what? I didn't see anything. Uh, and, and so – and I always enjoy the science fiction that can stories that can really demonstrate that to whatever degree humans who've, as far as I, I know, have never actually uh, been visited by aliens or, or had aliens have an impact on us significantly. Like how, you know, what, what can we imagine a truly alien alien would be like? And, Lots of examples of that doing poor job. You know, they borrow from spiders and well, sea creatures. You know what? I believe that's what I was saying. That's what I was about to say. I believe it's it's really a lot to do with whatever the environment of their world's gonna be like. I mean, of course, that's just a fact. That's what it's gonna be. Just if you look around and you go to the, our ocean and you look down there, hey, it's dark down there. Oh, all these creatures have self lighting abilities. I mean, you know, they, it's just. It's the way it is, mm-hmm. you know. If you have more room to, to roam around, you're going to be a bigger animal. You know, biggest animal on this planet is the blue whale. Uh, I believe the biggest it's ever been. I, I, I'm not. My dinosaur facts might be slipping me there, but I believe it may still be the biggest in history. Um, could be wrong there though, but it's definitely the biggest on the planet right now. And that's what's that got to do with? You know, it's the size of the pool it's in, really. Uh, which, which I think is very interesting, though. And, you know, this I never thought about. But think about this right here. This might blow your mind a little bit. What? Why would the dinosaurs? And they, people may know this. I don't. I'm sure scientists do. But why would the dinosaurs be so much larger than the life that's on the planet now? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I, I don't know the answer to that specifically, but I do know that um, there are examples of mammals, not just dinosaurs, but mammals being quite large. Uh, and it has to do with the, their environment and sort of the ecological niches that they get into. Um, I believe if they're isolated, like on islands, they get very large. And I don't know the cause. I just sort of have this half memory of, of this. Um, and, you know, King Kong is a famous non-example, a fictional example of that. But I think it has some uh, scientific backing about, like, uh, we have skeletons and, and other evidence of mammals and other uh, uh, animal kingdoms and, and stuff that um, where where not just dinosaurs were big, but also other creature types, not just the 
cold-blooded, but the warm-blooded and uh, various animal types. I don't know. We probably shouldn't speak too much about that because obviously we don't know the details, but uh, it's a fascinating area about how much how much alien is, how much we even experience in a day-to-day life because, you know, just just the variety of animals on this planet i mean it's it's mind-boggling that you know you think about something like you know uh a praying mantis or what what is the uh what's the worm that climbs in other insects and controls them and makes them uh you know like i'm specifically thinking of a praying mantis i've seen a video where they get inside the praying mantis kill it control its body Uh walk it to water so that it can begin its life cycle all over again i mean that's if that's not straight out of the alien's handbook, I don't know what you know, is. You know, what's even crazier than that is that certain mm-hmm. sexually transmitted diseases will affect the, the the person like human it's in to make them more likely to go transmit themselves. Like it will actually affect humans, which is a version of what you're talking about. Like, you know, obviously it's not like a zombie where they die. But okay. all right. We- we got to stop. Next episode is zombified humans in every format. That's, ha- that's happening next. Okay. So. <laughs> Make a note of that. We'll see us next time. Okay. Uh, okay. So we get, got a little bit off the beaten path here. Uh, so let's, let's, let's talk. Okay. And one of the reasons why I want to bring up this, the types of intelligence discussion. Okay. okay? okay. The reason why I wanted to bring that up is because I find myself, like I said, most of my friends are real, real brainy people. Uh, you know, they are, um, they have reason capabilities that are in memory and logical abilities that are far above mine, really. Uh, I'm sure I can concede know. that exactly, but for purposes of the, your discussion, we'll let it go. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, you know, hey, sure, I may be able to figure things out. That's reason. But, uh, you know, uh, memories, in, in fact, my short fall. Uh, I, uh, I forget things so much that I've become actually quite good at figuring things out because I can't remember the way I fixed it the first time. <laughs> so I have to fix it again. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes the outcome's worse. You know, okay. uh, and, you know, it's often led me to think about this subject and explore it because I can be in the same room with all these brain types, brainy types. And if they, you know, if it's a fact or if it's something very specific, I usually just keep quiet because they're on it. Like, you know, they know it. They know it. They, they, and like me, I have problems with people's names. I have problems with people's names that I've known for a very long time. If I don't see them for a little bit, sometimes it just will not come to me. And, and I don't know what that is, why that is. Uh, but this is the same thing when I'm trying to re- recall facts. It takes me a little bit. I have to think about it, have to kind of, I kind of have to remember by warming up to what I was doing. And then it, you know, it may or may not come to me, but what I found works best for me usually is just start with a blank slate, look at what I'm doing 
and think about all the possibilities. You know, in effect, I use my imagination and that kind of helps me figure out what I need to do. As long as I'm not, I don't have a predisposed idea. And I, I, that's the only time I tend to fail is when I get locked in. But if I really let myself free think on a subject nine times out of 10, you put me in a room with those same guys. And if no one knows what we're dealing with, I'll beat them to the answer. And even, even more so if someone hits the answer before I do, before the conversation's over, I will make their answer better. I will have seen all the other ways to do it. And I can't explain that. I don't know why I'm like that, but it has been the pattern for me. So while I don't think I'm the smartest guy out there, I do feel like I have, I do think my intelligence is different and I'm able to kind of spatialize and, and quickly think of these possibilities and toss them out and throw them around so that I feel like I'm very good at getting the, to a good quality solution, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's very interesting. I think uh, the way I sort of fit that in my own day-to-day life is I, I think that sort of what you're talking about is very broad, you know, and some people might go very deep first, like they'll go very deep in a, in a, in a subject and then they, maybe they seem like, wow, they got to that answer. And then it's amazing that they could travel so far down in that subject to find that answer, right? But if they if they don't follow the right path, then they're just sitting there silent, right? Because they're they're, they're basically never going to get to the right answer by going deeper because they're in the wrong path. But if you are uh, what I or you, I see you just saying is you're very broad. You're very broad uh, where you are checking all the. the very wide possibilities of an answer, right? And then, so if it's someone really out there, really crazy type answer, then you're have a much higher chance of coming across it because you are well, you're checking the possibilities very broadly. And again, I use the word over and over again, but very, but it's not. It's really not. I mean, it is partially information. Like, you know, to me, when someone makes a decision, they're doing it off of, hey, I know this or I know that. With me, I I can't explain, but I, it's more like I feel my way through it. You know, I don't even really have to ask myself the question a lot of times because my brain sort of already processes it, like I said, and, and, and I'm, I'm – I'm kind of onto a track, and and when I get that point, I can kind of see where it's going, um, and I just I just react to it. I mean, I, I don't know, you know. I mean, that's why I come up with some very bad ideas too, <laughs> you know. But it, I I do. It might be a very unique idea, but sometimes they'll be very bad, or I'll have missed one little concept, and it'll all just fall apart. It's like playing mental jenga, you know. <laughs> right. So, uh, I think people um, often think of things without realizing it, and then they rationalize back to some reason they thought of that. So I think uh, you know, maybe you're just skipping that that facade that we all throw throw up and pretend that we are actually rational beings, and it's just our subconscious, your subconscious, going just just being uh, very more honest, right? Being like, look, I, let's just try this, and while maybe I'm going like. 
uh, let's try this, but I don't have a reason for that. So let's think of a reason why that sounds good and, and spend more time thinking back backwards to a reason uh, instead of just going ahead with it. Um, I see that. I see that a lot in my day to day work. I often have to solve problems uh, conceptual wise. And I know, and this is a cliche and I think it's true that if I'm stuck, I go do something else for a while and come back and it's like the answer is just like like a blinking cursor right on the answer. Like you right here. Yeah. Right. And that's just that's just a, and I know that's just the subconscious continuing to work on the problem and getting all the cruft out of the way and it doing its own own, you know, thinking parts and you know it, it's a neural net in there, neural netting, and it puts those things together and, and does it. And then when I come back, it's like, hey, I got the answer for you, man. It's right here. Uh, and, you know, it's not like there's a light bulb that goes off. It's just like ready for when you're, when you're ready to look. I got it. And uh, I, I, I know that. And then yet I forget. And I'll bang away at something for two or three hours, and I'll be like, what am I doing? And I have to go away and come back, you know, an hour later, and it's just like – duh like like super obvious anyway and, yeah. I, and i think that is um some things you have to think hard about because and, and you got to be very formal you got to work down through the steps because it's just so complicated that maybe it exceeds our brain's ability to associate or or maybe it helps our brains associate to go reduce the air the, the possibility space by doing these formal steps whatever but i think uh there's a lot that your brain does that a lot of people take sort of credit for by thinking for saying they're super thinkers or whatever and it's just the same mechanism going with a little bit of, a little bit of different at the end about how it gets presented uh what about, the ego. What, about what about somebody like rain man you know uh, yeah so I, those are know, edge cases <laughs> i mean talk about memory um I was thinking about your your notes about memory and stuff, and uh, there are people who have perfect recall, right? Like you, they just look at a sheet of paper, they tell, read a book or whatever, and they tell you exactly what page it is. And I don't I don't necessarily have an explanation for how the brain does that. Some people might say, you know, they have other deficiencies because the brain's only so big and so powerful, and they're giving up some things for these other abilities, or maybe they're just not whether there's some limitation or random genetic something going on there that lets that happen. I don't know. Uh, what I, my, my understanding of memory is that, you know, every time we remember something, we recall it. And then physically in our brain, when we, we, we write it back. So we are literally destroying the memories as we experience them and they are changing. And we don't, we don't feel that we can't detect it. Other, other than externally but so uh, the more you remember something the more it changes inevitably it changes so if you have a if you have a, a childhood memory that you've recalled many times then it's probably you just have to know that it, it is very much different than probably it happened because your brain fills in holes in you know, your imagination just puts things in there um uh, I have a memory of uh, well, I think it's my first memory of my third birthday. I recall that several times, and I have, I have two main pieces of it. One is outside, and um, it's the birthday, and there's maybe a table out there. I don't know. I, I, right now, I'm imagining there's a table out there because it's a birthday, but I don't know. Now, now there's a table out there, and there's also the second part where I'm indoors, and my mom's old piano. There's a mirror across the top, and I'm looking at a a t-shirt I got sometime that has spaceships on it, right? So these are the two pieces, but I don't know. 
I have a memory of my mom being down there, but I don't know if that's true because I could have just imagined my mom. I have a memory of the tree that used to be out behind my house. I don't know if that's a real memory or just you know, there's a tree, and so I've filled in a tree. Uh, you just have to be aware that your your memory is malleable by your imagination. Uh, and I, I think I think that's how memory normally works. But then you have the people who have perfect recall and also your Raymond example where they have the ability to do super math and uh, uh, they see, they'll see a lot of stuff um, in, in, in patterns and detail. I don't know if those are just exceptions or uh, just more powers. And, uh, well, brain. listen, there's one guy that really – it just blows my mind, you know. Uh, you know Robert Evans; he's a uh, an astronomer, okay, and he can identify when like star maps of like I don't know a gajillion galaxies changes. He he visually looks at them, and he can see the one speck that's no longer there. Explain that. That's not yeah. That's that's a that. So I know our, so I can't explain it directly, but I know our brains are great pattern matchers, right? It's the memory part I don't get. Like obviously he has a a very high fidelity memory in some way of the old version that he can then compare with the new version. I don't know, maybe not, but that's the model that could possibly explain it. And so he's he's detecting those changes, or he's got some way of like, you know. Um, segregating those pieces into small little segments and you can recall that one section versus another section uh, I don't know the, the brain but, is not I don't know that you know I don't know enough about it I, I might look into I'll look into that a little after this but can he do that with anything else I've never heard that he could mm-hmm. you know it's why is it how does it just happen that he's interested in star maps and, ha- and suddenly realizes he's got this like super ability you know I mean he would just be a normal guy past that, right? You know, uh, that's that's the kind of thing that really, man. When you start trying to understand the human brain and what it's capable of, I mean, who knows? You know. I know that when uh, Thomas and Samuel were growing up, and Thomas really wanted to start reading books. Those are your kids, right? Yeah, right. You know, just yep, to, yep. That's, that's right. And they are when they were younger, let's say, uh, very young, and like you know, they wanted to start reading books because we read books, and that was that's a good thing. Or kids reading books is a good. But, you know, we were hesitant because, you know, not hesitant to, like, just let them read books, but hesitant to be, like, just get in there and and deep dive on books because there is some evidence about the the neurons when they get allocated, right, that um, if you – and this is just preliminary research that we knew at the time, and we get a lot of fake stuff as parents, but what we – believed at the time was the uh you know the neurons get misassigned not not misassigned but the neurons for like good vision i, I don't know for balance for well, something like you know the, whatever um that you start using them for you start training them for reading and then they're just they're used up for reading not used up but they are sort of trained they, they can retrain and stuff but the um so we we let him read a normal amount but didn't let him indulge basically is, is what i'm saying and, and i don't know if that was a good idea or not because you know you can make huge mistakes as parents but uh and eventually he became both of them both the kids became super readers but um correct or not what the what we were thinking was that um the brain's 
trainable in some way and the uh is this, is this person or is anybody do they do they have are they unlocking abilities or is it our configuration that there's it's just there and they're like unleashing it or whatever or is it like they have neurons and especially a large number of neurons assigned to this task for some reason and normally they have maybe a deficiency in in uh, being able to tell voices apart right because normally you can tell voices apart which is something that's actually kind of difficult if you think about it one person just hear their, a little bit of their voice or a little bit of a song and you suddenly you can all the music all the sounds you ever heard in your life you'd be like i know exactly what that song is how crazy, well, how crazy is that, right? And some people can't do that. Well, well you know what? Uh, that that makes me think about, I know I've seen a, a chart before that kind of broke out the types of intelligence. Uh, and I remember specifically one was musical. And I always thought that was odd. Like, how can you have musical intelligence? You know, uh, you know, how can you, how, how is, but I guess just like, uh, you know, Remembering a star field, you just remember that combination of sounds or that, that that pitch and tone or rhythm or whatever, and you know, it just kind of gets stored just like a computer does, you, you know, digitally in your brain, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that guy who can look at the star fields, maybe he doesn't lack something that. You know, he doesn't really notice because he just has a low value of it and doesn't really affect him. Or maybe uh, several things are decreased. I, I'd like to believe that because that means he's <laughs> he's paying for it, right? He's got some spelt ability. We're kind of paying for it. Keeps it. But maybe he doesn't have any deficiencies. And this is just some mutation or is it, he got lucky or just he's just awesome. Maybe the dude's just awesome and he can do that, <laughs> you know. But you couldn't go to a college and learn how to do that. Uh, not today. I mean, maybe when we learn more about the brain, maybe we can figure out how to train well, growing up. Be like, hey, normally, normally, you're, if you just, it's like, you know, um, people grow up and they didn't know nutrition, right? And so, like, well, if you, don't, you just grow up and eat what you got, whatever you find. Uh, but now we know about nutrition is like, oh, well, you eat certain things, you're healthier. Maybe in the future, be like, well, if you study certain ways that your brain is trained in a certain way that well, then it, things are better overall. Why don't we use this point to segue into the, the what's cool section, but I think you do your fake sponsor read first. Okay. Yeah, I got, I got it. It's actually uh, well, on too. Alright, but when, when we come back, let's go, let's start the, the what's cool segment with uh, this same topic because there are a couple of things that have hit lately that are worth talking about in the news. I know uh, the Matrix brain uploading, you know, stay tuned and we'll talk about that and revival of brain dead people. So kind of see, was, the old tease. Okay. Uh, yeah. So this is a, so a private read, right? <clears throat> all the questions are rhetorical. The, uh, all right, so uh, First of all, this this is the uh, the doozy dose, right? And it starts to uh, do you get tired? Do you spend too much time laying in bed, waiting for the sweet embrace of easy, restful sleep to gently encompass you? If you're like me, you've wasted hours, days, nights of time waiting to fall asleep. Now there is a solution: the instant sleep headband, the doozy dose by Fakeco. 
With his patent-pending induction technology, the Doozy Doze can put you to sleep instantly and safely every time. No side effects, no tossing, no turning, just blissful, perfectly timed sleep all night. How does it work? As a fake product, the Doozy Doze does not actually work. But if it did, it would probably work by using electromagnetic waves to format the electrical signals in your brain in a predefined pattern that corresponds to sleep, for instance. And it would do it as long as the device had power, which is why the Doozy Doze is a weapon of terror. Inventors never invent this. This is the thing in Minority Report, report where the cops use to control people. Okay, Once the headband was on, game over. You only wake up if someone else wants you to. So, our thanks to Fake Co. for having actually never made this device or invented it yet, because it is horrible and not worth a few extra hours of sleep. Thanks, Fake Co. I'm going to contact Fake Co. about this product. I'm going to suggest <laughs> that we rebrand it the Mantis. The Mantis? I'm going to get that one. Why the Mantis? It's about to put you to sleep or hypnotize you. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, did you watch Guardians of the Galaxy 2? What's that? Did you watch Guardians of the Galaxy 2? Yes. Taserface. What did Mantis do? I, I don't know. Oh, Mantis, right. Uh, I had to think for a second. The the, the chick that was uh, horrible looking and, and disgusting. Right, right. Help. Yeah. Spoilers. 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 Skip ahead by 15 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. That's a, puts, that's, that's puts not a spoiler. The ego, Come on. ego asleep. She, that's not a spoiler. She puts people to sleep. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Uh, Give me a second to go through my memory and pick that one out. All right. So, oh, as okay. memory, especially the uh, brain and the predefined pattern that corresponds to sleep in your brain. Just saying, that's that's how it, how it tied in together. Right. So hopefully, no one ever admits that. If you do, uh, we we uh, probably owed some some money as they destroy the planet, and life, and civilization. There's been a lot of horrible inventions by people that meant well too. You know, for that for that same reason, that's a whole nother talk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So so you want to go to what's cool? Yeah. What's cool? Now you've got something in there. You have the first thing in there. Okay, so uh, I'm going to start with the last item because we can. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we were talking earlier, and we uh, uh, teased that we would talk about, uh, you know, revival of brain dead patients, which is in the news. Uh, apparently, uh, some tests probably in a third world country, I don't remember exactly where it said, uh, are going to be conducted on bringing and resuscitating brain-dead people back to life. Uh, this possibly go wrong? This is how you get zombie apocalypse. <laughs> this right here, yeah. you know. Just, just made a virus and then you got zombies. Yeah, you know, you don't need a virus. and You know, just bring back someone who was dead you know, I mean, it's it's the Frankenstein syndrome. You know, you just can't do it, but we're going to try, apparently. Uh, and the other thing that I saw, which I thought was interesting, was the whole Matrix upload skills. You know, you were talking about maybe one day. Well, apparently that's uh, kind of happening as well. 
So uh, these are the two both both these things that were in the news today. I did, you know, I just kind of explain to me explain to me the matrix them. upload skills. I remember in the scene in the matrix where he learns kung fu by uploading the skills into his brain yeah. after he's escaped uh, from the matrix. Spoiler. So, uh, but um, uh, but what what are you talking about? Like in real life, what is that? What is referring to? Well, let me let me see if I can find the article really quick. Okay, here here it is. Uh, DARPA is planning to hack the human brain to let us upload skills. This is this is the Matrix, right? You know the movie, The Matrix. Sorry, spoiler. Wipe me out if you want to, but if you haven't seen The Matrix by now, there's really no point in calling it a spoiler. Uh, but uh, so basically, they are going to allow you to you know get hooked up uh, have some specialized uh skill package get uploaded to your brain and you're just going to instantly know it that i mean that's that's what i gather uh you know i guess it's beyond you know it might probably it might work a lot like dreams you know mm-hmm. you think about think about a dream that's a lot of downtime a lot of dead time you know, maybe that's how maybe that's how they're gonna put it in there. Maybe it's gonna play a dream for you. I don't. I really don't have any clue. Uh, but I just know it scares me. But not quite as bad as bringing back brain dead people. Really, you know, that's that gets into all sorts of issues. You know, if someone is someone is dead or you know i guess i guess when they say brain dead then they're not talking about people that are actually dead as in not breathing but clinically brain dead they think it's a repairable solution interesting they don't have to they don't have to cut you off anyway i i i shouldn't speak too much on because i didn't read it uh and, and really understand it enough but it was just pertinent to what we were talking about and was like hey that's sounded really wild you know so, so let's start, when we talk about the implications of what we imagine it's saying now so what does that mean if if you can you basically learn skills by you know, spending some money or, or taking some, a very small amount of time and just buying something well, I mean, off the shelf. Think about it. What, what if you can go to the bed the day before your trip and then upload the language that they're going to speak when you get there? Right. All right. I mean, let's just, that's just one thing that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, uh, I, I mean, I'm, there's a billion other applications, I'm sure. You know, YouTube will probably be a dead thing. <laughs> Why go to YouTube for a tutorial? Just say, hey, I need this mad skill. Pay $9.95 and have the data uploaded, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's probably more expensive than that, though. But yes, I can imagine, you know, playing <laughs> instruments. Uh, I mean, uh, it'd be like diamonds, maybe, where, you know, you can make diamonds. But the diamonds that are worthwhile are the ones. How would that affect the workforce? Yeah. You think about someone that spends eight years, you know, learning some specialized information. That information is what makes them valuable. That's why they get paid to ten times what a normal person gets paid. But if anyone could just, you know, upload and be competent, you know, like really, honestly, have that knowledge. What would that do to the workforce and just due to this? That might get us in some Roddenberry level stuff. Yeah. I bet it would. End, I bet it would. Uh, you know what I bet it would do? You'd probably have 
where applications of it where they started physically testing you for how receptive you are and like some people like you said star map guy you know uh, robert evans or whoever they might have a capacity far beyond someone else so then it'll just come straight down to genetics are you genetically superior you know well i guess that's really the same thing it's just without the time spent learning it i think well like it's a technology and and over time we've created many things that destroyed the useful skill uh that an example is the uh you know the person who can drive a buggy uh or or even farmers i mean you need a lot fewer farmers than you used to just because uh a technology you know and and you need a lot fewer people to make a tv show uh because of the various software and hardware that's out there um i think if it happens gradually enough, people can react to it and you know, be retrained or learn to use it as an additive ability. So if you wanted to create a TV show, an entertainment, right? So using that imagination to create something um, that didn't exist before, then maybe you could upload to yourself a bunch of software skills and camera skills and other things like that. And then suddenly you're it's not that like you're destroying a bunch of jobs it's just that you are utilizing a bunch of these skills to make content make 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 something or if i wanted to well, build robots right and i could learn programming and construction of mechanical devices and, and electric electrical uh stuff and then i could just i can make some cool robots that did something like explore the outer space or something right so i think i think if it's gradual enough, uh, then we can adapt to it. Uh, if it's if it's just uh, shows up one day that you, that destroys a bunch of people's jobs, then uh, they just get all fired because they don't need them anymore. Without a time to adjust the whole economy to adjust about it, then that would be that, more, that would not be Roddenberry Star Trek level. That's more like aliens and and uh, not, uh, yes, I guess aliens because of the hyper corporations. But it's it's more like a dystopian future. That sucks. Well, whatever whatever happens, we both, I think we can both agree that that's some cool stuff. <laughs> you know, that's cool. So, uh, yep. other cool things. Yeah, I think you're the next time. Uh, All right, so I'll just do this just, here because I bought this the other like two days ago. I haven't had a chance to play it, so I was sitting there thinking about it. And uh, it's Star Trek Bridge Crew. Okay, and what you do? I bought this on Steam, and it is a VR game. A game, and what you do is you sit down in a starship bridge, like Star Trek's bridge, one of their ships' bridge, right? And it is multiplayer, like not not like multi massively multiplayer, but like you've got a captain and, oh, you, and you've got like uh, so the captain's wearing some VR goggles, so he sees the bridge and he has his first officer right next to him, his tactical officer, and he's got a navigator and his control, like four or five people sitting around him, and he's like he's giving orders, and they're flicking switches like so they also have vr and they're also sitting next to you uh-huh. and you can hear them physically speaking and they hit switches and they're flying the starship just i mean uh okay so i had to stop you here mm-hmm. because this is totally crazy okay i in the early 90s a buddy of mine uh that i mentioned last episode uh danny welch and i opened a opened a place in the mall called virtual realms and it was VR headsets. Uh, I can't remember what it was. The Danny would know the name, but uh, we had 
chairs that were tied into it so that like you know if, if you know it, it would give you feedback and our goal was to one day have little centers remember this is when arcades still were around <laughs> uh, yes uh, our goal was to have little centers to play this exact game you're describing mm-hmm. so yes I'll agree that's very cool <laughs> the only downside is okay I have an HTC Vive which are very expensive I got it for Christmas um, so but every person who plays has to have one which they're so that's it's it's sort of out of the realm of practical to like have three or four or five people I guess if your friends can come over if they have the whatever they can all play but uh, I can be captain and I can have some AI people doing my command or something so Anyway, that's what I'll be playing very soon. Um, I'm looking forward to. Does it that. use voice tech? Is it? Does it work like Siri or something? Where you're like, uh, you know, uh, you know, hey, warp speed, and th- does it reply back to you? I, I, Captain, you know, warp speed. I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know the game. I'm just guessing. I really hope so, but I doubt it. I, I don't think so. That'd be cool though for your AI guys to be voice activated. See. Yeah, I agree. That, that, I I don't think so, but if it does, I'll definitely let you know. But it, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I got it yesterday. I haven't had even a chance to play it. I just I just like Star Trek VR Bridge Commander thing um, purchase. It's like thirty dollars, forty dollars. So that's okay. Well, very cool. Uh, now I had another item on there. I say this for time constraints. Let's skip it. Uh, bring it up next time. We're going to mention a little about the dark universe, so we'll maybe talk about that next time. I'm just going to move that up to next week. So we don't lose it. Yeah. And uh, so you know that's the monster movie universe. Uh, there, you know, the Avengers. You you know you started all this mess, Marvel, but uh, you you know you've got. It's funny how we were talking about the little King Kong Godzilla universe earlier, but all these little universes are popping up and they get to play in their own sandboxes. So that'll be fun. We'll t- we can talk about that next time. Yeah. Um, okay. So main thing I actually want to talk about is Alice in Wonderland. The main thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the main thing. Just, we are here. Just getting started. We are here near the end of the show, and we're at the, the, the awesomeness. But uh, here, here it is. This show's about your imagination and what you can do with it and, uh, you know, just love imagination. I just love it. And there, to me, there's nothing that embodies it more than it. You know, you know, I, I would give a few things with it, but 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 just only in their their lane. But in in literature, to me, you know, Alice in Wonderland, what a what a beautiful beautifully crafted thing. You know, I was so into dragons and knights and sorcerers. You know, that was my thing. But always. Alice in the Wonderland was there to me, and, and you know I'm a I'm a guy to me. I don't know why it appealed to me so much. Uh, I really can't say what it was about. It just you know the the peculiar points of view that Lewis Carroll ha- had. You know the dreamlike state of everything, or you know maybe it's just the whimsical characters. Uh, but you know it all kind of sat on my shoulder like a Cheshire cat, <laughs> and when I'm in a when I'm in a creative frame of mind, I draw on that every time. You know, when I'm falling down the rabbit hole, 
I want to stop and I want to think about the fact that maybe I'm not falling fast, but everything else is falling slow. You know, uh, I just want to kind of have that perspective when I tackle something. And uh, so I will have to say that it's been a big driving force in, in my life. And I had a strange thing happen not long ago. I have a friend who bought a 300-piece art collection. It was a lot of uh, prints and things, but stuff he really didn't know a lot about. He's he's not really he, – he wasn't really an art guy, so to speak, as much as he was uh, kind of like a, into antiquities. Um and I started helping him try to figure out what it, what was worth. You know, is something worth something or is it not? Or what was it? Uh, because he, he bought it in bulk and didn't really know. And I came across this one piece. Uh, I forget the name of the actual piece, but it was from a, a, a rare book, uh, An Ultra Monde. I hope I didn't... You know, I'm not French, so I'm not <laughs> sure if I got that right. But uh, that this this book, uh, and that means another world, by the way. Uh, but this this book had this most unique art in it. But I recognized it right off the bat, or at least I thought I did. I immediately thought uh, that it was. John uh, Tenniel style art. I mean, it was the influences were so. It was like this looked like Alice in Wonderland, and uh, so I quickly figured out that it was an it was an uh, artist named J. J. Granville, and uh, which is really his grandparents' stage name. His real name was uh, and here's another pronunciation thing. I'm not sure I'll get this right, but I think Jean Ignace or Ignace Isidore Gerard a.k.a. J.J. Granville. And, you know, it just, it was so similar. I immediately started looking into it, and I realized he was about 20 years ahead of Alice in Wonderland. I was like, there's no way this didn't influence him. And as I read it, as I started reading out there uh, on it, I realized that, yeah, it's it's well known that, it, that this art influenced, uh, you know, Lewis Carroll and uh, John Tenniel. It, it it very much did. Say there, the, say the name of the book again. Uh, Unatre Monde. Yep, I looked it up. I'll make sure I have it. Okay. I don't know if it's got a. I, I probably am killing that, but uh, yes. Uh, so so so, I mean, I've found art card art that looks like the card guys and stuff i mean you know it's it if you see any of the floral stuff you immediately think you know the gardens stuff from alice in wonderland uh just no doubt built on the shoulders of this artist and uh you know i just that that just really blew my mind uh and and you know considering how dear alice in wonderland really has always been to me to see that instantly made me a J.J. Granville fan. And I, at, at that point, I didn't even know about him. Uh, so, uh, you know, just putting, just, I really want, I just really wanted to talk about, you know, what, what, what do you know, is this the pinnacle of imaginative writing? Do, do you know, is there something similar to you that has influenced you? So I would say that writing wise, probably, I mean, I've I've read a lot of books that have influenced me, and I don't know if um, 
that and I can pick out one necessarily that influenced me a, a lot, a lot currently. Uh, at various points in my life, there have been books that influenced me. Uh, and some of them are not particularly like super artistic uh, or great writing. Um, but it's very simple uh, and not surprising. It's Star Trek, the 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 media, the uh, creative works of Star Trek have influenced me um, a great deal. Uh, ironically, amusingly, the uh, my first exposure to Star Trek was not the TV show, but books and and other things like that. Like specifically, I think I read some of the novels before I ever saw the first episode, and the. Um, I think I saw some of the like the movies, parts of the movies on TV on like Saturday afternoon and Sunday before I saw any of the TV shows. So I came out at a very oblique angle, and I was influenced by the writing of Star Trek, and specifically uh, some of the novelizations of some of the TV shows I did read before I ever saw any of the episodes. Uh, and I saw some of the um, the, the, the pseudo sequels to some of that. So. If you want to say anything uh, that's influenced me greatly in my life, it would be Star Trek. Um, ironically, because it was never like it was never like the political system as an idea or any of the technology. I mean, that was all kind of cool. That was there. It's awesome. But coming from a book aspect, where they're talking about more of the philosophy of. Uh, people interacting and just how they act, and uh, the authors take the authors take on the, the world. Uh, I think those influenced me initially. And then, well, uh, certainly, certainly, it set the bar for so many inventions that we're still trying to do everything that they did in those shows. You know, uh, the, every invention. You know, um, some have come and gone. Think about the flip phone. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you cannot tell me we didn't get the flip phone because of Star Trek. Yeah, and, and, you and people, people have. I mean, Steve Jobs, I believe, is on record as saying that they that the iPad is influenced by the little pad P A D Ds that they saw on Star Trek. The next generation, and and the little diskettes that they put in the computers on the original series, uh, that was a very big influence. Um, the uh, talking. Do you think microwaves? I, I don't know when microwave was invented, but you know how they would put the instant food in on on uh, Star Trek. Do you think that? Sort of. I think that was just a take on the automat, which was I don't think, uh, and the fact that the food just showed up. As you order, you order instantly rather than just picking something that was sort of up here. Uh, I think um, that may, maybe I don't know enough about the '60s and '50s to, to know about that, but the um, instant construction, the, the transporter. Uh, this is some Star Trek stuff. Transporter was not all early. It, it was entirely. The point of that was to get people into the action, right? So not, instead of having this boring shuttle ride down to the planet, they just instantly get into the action by having this instantaneous transport device, right? Um, so that that is uh, – anyway, the technology, I don't think it wasn't a super influencer of me because growing up, I've always been like – this stuff is obvious, of course. We're just this stuff is going to happen, and maybe maybe subconsciously I wasn't influenced by all that. But but I think uh, what really got me was more like 
the people in emergency situations, how they acted, the the um, interaction between the characters. Uh, you've got the to me to me the big characters of Star Trek were Captain uh, Kirk, uh, Spock, and then third was Scotty as the engineer, and then McCoy was just he was a doctor. He was never the the third person in my in my mind. It was always Scotty was the third person as the engineer because he made he he made he was the guy who was just reliable and made things work. Uh, and, yeah. and Captain Kirk was the guy who pe- people's intake on him was various. You know, the author's uh, take on com- command, right? Uh, so he was the classic commander in some ways, but. Uh, and then Spock was the logical guy who thought through things logically while struggling with emotions, which I think any human that's intentionally designed to be relatable by humans. And then, uh, again, uh, Scotty, who's, who's passionate, but just figuring things out and just making things work. However, he's going to, he can hand. And then the Dr. McCoy was, I don't know. He didn't really influence me growing up as much. Um, so it was the it was the the people reacting to the situation. I think really influenced me, um, and of course they put in crazy situations. I, I I don't know if I always thought they were super crazy, like super alien. Go back to the truly alien situations, and some were better than others. Um, the Gorn man, the Captain Kirk's battle with the Gorn. So the, How about the that? First, so the first, the the Klingon, the Klingon combat with the the actually the aliens that first influenced me were the super powerful Organians, right? Who were like uh, sitting around on their planet, right? And they and the, the humans, the start the Federation rather, and the Klingons, they're constantly trying to be like, come on, guys, uh, the other side's bad, and they're gonna. They're here to take your stuff, and they're like, well, "Whatever, dude, just we're fine. Go away. Uh, we're super peaceful. We're not worried about it." And and it turns out they're super powerful beings, right? And they're like, "Yeah." That that was to me uh, a big alien moment because these these advanced humans couldn't see, and I didn't see, so they didn't. They were they were not seeing for me. The uh, people who looked one way looked helpless but were in fact completely beyond any danger whatsoever because of their powers uh that was actually what influenced me uh reading some of the novelizations of the book it was uh the klingons and the humans of course the humans were the federation was on the the good side and the klingons as the russians were bad but the all-powerful organians were like Guys, y'all are annoying us. We are going to uh, say that you are now at peace and all your weapons are going to heat up and you can't even use them. And please stop bothering us. You've annoyed us long enough. Uh, threat implied. Let's move on. And then everybody backs slowly away and says, let's leave those guys alone. Well, definitely, uh, definitely Star Trek and Alice in Wonderland have had a huge effect on pop culture. I mean, we've got movies, video games. Uh, one one particular project product that uh, kind of crossed over in interest for me was the old classic D&D module, Dungeonland. You ever play Dungeonland? I don't think so. So Dungeonland puts your adventures, adventures in Wonderland. 
And, you know, all the encounters are designed, obviously, from famous parts of the books. Uh, you know, you've got the Mad Tea Party. I, I forget what the uh, Mad Hatter was. I think he was a rogue or whatever. But, you know, that I love that module just because, obviously, I had such a strong crossover for me. But th- there's got to be tons of things like that. You know, I mean, everyone's got got this thing that kind of drove their imagination or their imagination fixated on it really made them who they are, you know, but uh, I don't know how many, you know, obviously like Star Wars, I guess I guess any particular idea will eventually bubble over to what has a certain level of influence in pop culture, uh-huh. but uh, you know, People use sayings and do things all the time from things that happen. They have no idea what it even means, you know, like, uh, you know, the old the saying you can run, but you can't hide. You know, mm-hmm. that 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 comes from uh, boxing. I believe uh, I believe Joe Lewis. I forget who he's fighting, but he said that. And now it's just a saying. No one knows where it came from, <laughs> what it is. Bubbles over into pop culture and gets adopted and gets changed in ways, and someone makes a joke out of it in a different way. Suddenly, it's you know something incredibly different. You know, uh, I mean, uh, what's uh, yeah, what's r- that song? Money is the root of all evil. That's not from the Bible. Yeah. That's you know like. Uh, Franklin or whatever. Uh, all, the, well, all, the, all the glitters is not gold. That's Tolkien, right? What about Rick Roll? Getting Rick Rolled, okay? So, like, that song meant totally something totally different <laughs> to other people in the 80s. And then, you know, at the 20, 20 years later, it becomes a big joke. Yeah. And it, but people find a different thing to love about it, you know. But it, it, it bubbles into pop culture and affects us all. It's kind of cool. Uh, another thing uh, I'll just throw out there the computer game, Zerging, you know, the, the, the tactic of Zerging, and where you just over, oh, overwhelm. Yeah. But that was a, you know, that StarCraft in particular, one of the three factions was Zergs, and they, was, you know, they reproduced quickly. Uh, I didn't know that. That's cool. I thought it. Ha- I thought it had it roots in like uh, World War Two or something. I thought it was like a Blitzkrieg. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe they got it in there because uh, they, I'm not sure. Uh, I know my introduction to it was was the StarCraft. Yeah. Oh well, it's just a lot of that stuff. Out. It's very cool. Well, uh, I think that's really all we had to talk about. I'd like to do uh, my f- phantasmal. Uh, dot com, so it's not a dot com yet, but I do have the domain and will eventually be a website. <laughs> but my phantasmals week in imaginative realism. Uh, if you got anything else to say, you want to wrap anything up because I'll just run through this. It's it's a bit like news. No, so. uh, no do that, but also let people know where they can find you on you know the interwebs, wherever. Like if you got a- well, right now you can get on Facebook and you find the page at. Uh, facebook.com slash phantasmal art if you want the alerts also you'll see instructions on the page about liking the group as well and you'll get uh, alerts whenever um, you know different kinds of fantasy or science fiction works of art hit the market and uh, you know that's kind of something I always did anyway I'm a big you know I'm a big dreamer and I love the stuff so I tracked it and then one day I was like hey this might be useful to someone else so I started 
put it out there. And that, so, that is a group that people can ask to join and, and they can join that. That's right. Okay. Um, okay. So the week in imaginative realism, uh, the freshest thing on my mind, there are a couple notable uh, Magic the Gathering paintings, both by, uh, you know, of Nicol Bolas, um, one by Chris Ron, who, which escalated extremely quickly. Uh, it, it hit $10,300 last I looked, uh, and it has been on maybe like six hours. I don't know. It can't be too long. So, just, uh, so, so these are things that – tell me what these are because I know we talked about fantasy. Right, these are fantasy art, a, right? Yeah, this is a you – know, you know Magic the Gathering, the card game, right? I do, yes. Unfortunately, I so – This is an original – It's been a long time for you, I'm sure, and it's been a lot of money. But uh, this is an original art from one of the latest sets uh, – and you know, Nicol Bolas is one of their characters. He's a dragon, uh, and he's what's known as a planeswalker now. I stopped playing Magic a long time ago. Uh, right as, matter of fact, I stopped playing right as the first planeswalkers hit. So someone can carbon date me that way. Mm-hmm. But that's my last, the last time I played. And uh, well, so Nicol Bolas is this big dragon, and two very impressive paintings hit. And one's by Chris Ron, and it's like I said already through the stratosphere, which is not anything out of the norm for his paintings. They're, he's a very, very good artist, has a tremendous following. Uh, and the other is by Vulcan Baga, who is also just awesome. I mean, just flat out So these are awesome. these are auctions that are happening for these paintings? Right. Screen, uh, and yeah. um, okay. the, the Chris Ron Nickel Bolas is on eBay, but the Baga... Uh, Nicol Bolas is being auctioned in the Facebook groups on the, there's a Magic the Gathering uh, original art group there uh, you'd have to join and I don't I don't remember the details uh, his agent's name is uh, Mark Aronowitz uh, you can look him up as well if you can spell it uh, great guy uh, I bought my uh, my Brom pencil uh, sketch for, through him uh, a while back. Um, so then, okay, so those are interesting. Uh, at Heritage Auctions, we've got uh, something really cool. One of the coolest things I've seen in a while, but uh, they announced that uh, Kate Nielsen's concept painting for Night on Bald Mountain from Fantasia is going to be auctioned in July. Now, that's just, I mean, you take one look at it. I mean, if you're a Fantasia fan, this is really rare and interesting piece. Uh, I have no idea what it would go for. But when they start announcing them, like, hey, look what's coming, you, you know, they, they do that with a few things, you know, and they, that means they're thinking it's going to go for a lot, like the big dollars. Uh, or it could be wrong, but I, I think it will. It's really an interesting piece. Um, right now, the main thing I draw attention to is a, a Kelly Frias Amazing Stories cover called First Colony. Uh, you know, it's 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 basically depicting a floating colony. It's got a lot of rocket fire around it on an alien world. So if you're into sci-fi art, it's it's a neat piece that you could probably probably won't break the bank. Okay. Uh, then at Comic Link, now this is this is going to be probably. Uh, 
an after the fact thing, so I won't spend too much time on it. But Comic Link has a, a auction ending tonight. And a matter of fact, it's nine o'clock. So several of these I know have already ended and you're not going to be able to react to it off of this. But Comic Link's got a death dealer preliminary by Frank F. and Frazetta, you know? Uh, <laughs> When I looked, it was at 6,300. I want to take a look because uh, I just imagine it's a color piece. Even though it is preliminary, it's a color piece by Rosetta. Uh, Tell tell me who that is. Okay. We're going to have to educate you if you do not know who Frank Frazetta is. Terrible name, but also you're sort of also explaining to our imaginary friends. I am. I understand our imaginary friends uh, who I hope to get some interest in it. And you know what? You know, and I do original art and I totally get doing prints. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do, you do get into it. But Frazetta's art, uh, there's kind of a one guy like in every genre, you know, that you've ever been in that just makes his mark because his stuff is so visceral or so real or so mind-bending, hey, you know, Salvador Dali, uh, that you have to pay attention. And Frank Frazetta's works are that. They're they're actually, the reason why I like Frank Frazetta so much is it's it's the very same reason I like Robert E. Howard so much, where Robert E. E. Howard's uh, words jumped off the page. You can just sense the power in a Frazetta. Uh, do you, you know, whether, whether he's doing well-known characters or not, you just, you know, the piece, the second you see it and it's got a, a, a raw, raw power to it. And obviously I'm not the only one. I know, uh, they're doing a fire and ice movie. If you remember that cartoon, uh, and for that was just basically art directed by Frazetta. Uh, you know, it's just it's, it's kind of that dark style. He, you know, Death Dealer appeared on like Molly Hatchet album covers. Uh, you know, obviously Conan stuff that you know Frazetta did. He, he just it's just amazing stuff. And to see a color Frazetta piece, you know, uh, at auction when I checked last, it was sixty three hundred. I'm sure it was way much more than that at the end. Uh, and there's also like a Neanderthal sketch there. That's interesting. Um, but you know, it's just rare to see a, a good Frazetta. Most of the real paintings that have been hitting have been going for between like fifty and uh, you know uh, uh, two hundred, three hundred thousand. And I know uh, recently a couple went for a million plus. So he's he's kind of that like uh, that that he's that guy in the niche, which I. As I talked about last time, I believe is growing and will just get bigger. Right. Just to be clear, uh, he died in 2010. Yeah, yeah. Frazetta is gone, but he's he's just a master that won't be forgotten. Uh, and so I'm going to skip the rest of the stuff uh, that was in that auction since it's kind of over, and I only have a couple last things to say. But uh, Everyday Original has got a auction coming up this Friday. It's uh, their first 24-hour auction, and it is for an Alessandra Pisano piece. And this girl, she can paint so well. I actually... Back in the past, when I was ready to try to get one, you cannot blink. It will not last. So I'm, 
I, I actually completely understand why she's the first auction piece because if there has been a two minute delay on a piece selling on that on at Everyday Original from when it hit, uh, I haven't seen it. I mean, it's just an instant buy. She's so good. Uh, and then finally, I'll end it with uh, I want to draw attention to uh, Penelope. Now, Penumbra Boutiques, uh, they they have an event called Potion Spells and Magic. Uh, what I like about these little boutiques and, and art collective groups that are out there is even though you might not know all the artists, they really do a good job of getting really good artists uh, that have a certain style that they're trying to represent. And it's usually it's affordable stuff that you're love to have on your wall. Uh, I immediately hit it and I wanted to run and check out uh, Carla uh, Seco's Spell of the Sun. It's just a beautiful painting and it's not even my kind of art usually, but you know, it's kind of, there's kind of a genre of the what I call kind of the big eye girl fantasy art. You know, it's a you know, they, they, they're almost cartoony in their, the way that they're done, but but you know in any in any little Lane or any little area uh, that someone is at, you'll always find someone you like. It's kind of like you might not like country music, but you might like Garth Brooks. You know, there might be someone you like or whatever. And then and for me, it's definitely that. Uh, and, uh, you know, a couple other things there. But the last thing that I really, and this ties back into Alice in Wonderland, that, and I wanted to talk about this. I kind of skipped it, but I, I got to say it. Uh, I think it, how cool would it be to do like a Kickstarter uh, for an Alice in Wonderland book? Okay, uh, this is something I as I was thinking of this, I, I felt I really would like to do this. So one day I might try to do this if we can get the the amount of viewership up where uh, a Kickstarter would be successful. But I'd love to to uh, get an Alice in Wonderland book put together using a lot of these artists. And my thoughts immediately ran to a, a handful that I would just love. Uh, if I were going to try to stay kind of in the spirit of things, I think I, there's an artist called Omar Ryan, and that's with – I'm not even sure if I pronounced his last name right, but it's two Ys, R-Y-Y-A-N. Uh, and he has that spirit about him that, that if you see his art, uh, you could just immediately see how it would work. I direct you to take a look at – uh, his run rabbit run painting. If you want to, if you don't believe me about what he could do. Yeah. The run rabbit run, uh, Omar Ryan, two Y's. Uh, so if I was staying in the spirit of things, I think I'd go with him. Uh, then there's another artist who's just really been on fire. Her name's, uh, Iris compete compete. Always, have a problem with that because for the longest time I was called calling her Compiette, but um, she was on the uh, one fast one fantastic week show not too long ago when I learned how to say her name properly. So if I ever meet her, I I will be able to not embarrass myself. But uh, just look at anything that uh, you know. How how could you not want to see her do a, the garden scenes from Alice? I mean, how could you not? Just she has this fairy uh, fairies of the fault lines uh, Kickstarter that's launching uh, about on the 21st, I believe, of this month. And if you're not in on that, you're you're missing out because she, I think she had kind of overnight success. She started doing these little fairies and these uh, 
uh, you know, a little woodland spirits and her Instagram account blew up overnight to like 23,000 followers. And so she's, she seems to be in a bit of a shock herself, really, if you watch these videos, but it is so well-deserved. And I would put her in an Alice in Wonderland book overnight. It just would be a not hard decision whatsoever. Uh, and then, you know, if I wanted to go with something that was just pure magic, like if I wanted to like do a leather bound Alice, I wanted you to go, wow, this is the best thing I've ever seen, the purest magic that can be put together. I think I'd go with Annie Steg. Uh, you can look at any piece of work she does and you will instantly get it. She has a classical sense that you just don't see in most uh, most art these days. Like, I mean, I can't even explain that to you, but it's like, uh, like a Victorian era painting, but yet it's somehow more modern. Uh, her style is incredible. Uh, I first came across her a few years ago, started following her works, and it's so just not generally my thing. Uh, but it became my thing very quickly because it's, it's it's she's one of the best artists that there is, if you ask me. Um, and finally, my last guy, and this is it, and you can edit what you need to edit out. <laughs> but uh, Ian Daniels is a personal favorite of mine. He's not as well known as these other artists. Uh, I own a couple of Ian Daniels pieces, so I will be I will disclaim it that way. Uh, he has a much darker style, but you know that's the that's the modern Alice in Wonderland. You think about all these dark takes, the movies, everything is much darker than the books, you know. Uh, and of all the artists out there that have, if I, in matter of fact, he is the only one of these that I mentioned that I know has done an Alice piece. Uh, and uh, if I were going dark or gothic, I'd call Ian Daniels. And that's all I got to say. You know, join us next week <laughs> when we talk about Sleeping Beauty and check to see if Den Bouvet is available. All right. So uh, <clears throat> I want to thank our sponsor, Fateco. For their not destroying awesome. the planet with their instant sleep and never wake up product. Uh, also, Calvin, thanks. I know we promised, uh, we agreed to two episodes. I think we're doing pretty good. We're going to have a, if, if we have a, a third episode, which I hope we will, we're going to have a special guest, maybe. And is, is it a surprise guest? Well, it's a surprise to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and if we have no special guests, then. Well, you know, whatever. If we don't have a special guest, we'll have an imaginary guest. 